Are you too absolutely confused and bewildered about the 2023 Australian GP? Are you in a state of total shock and have no idea about what's just gone on here? Red just- flag, Samuel. Red flag is out. Ah, okay. Here we go again. Uh, have you got down to the bottom of what exactly happened in this race? It seems like Formula One has gone down under, and all sense of stability and semblance has just gone for a total toss. It's gone upside. Red down. flag. Sorry, we got to do this again because I don't think it's working out. Red flag. Okay. Uh, Carlos Sainz is confused. He is in a state of shock. He does red flag. Red oh, flag. Come on, what? The heck I don't. I don't know where we start because <laughs> I've sort of lost count. Haas is going to appeal this, and uh, FIA doesn't know whether to take the start grid from one of the red flags or the safety car line one. I just know that red flags were given out to everybody. You know that meme. I remember that meme right now. You get a red flag, he gets a red flag, she gets a red flag, we get a red flag. Everybody gets a red flag. I mean, the red cars were not performing in Australia. Hence, maybe the FI wanted to use the red flags. Ha ha. Bad mm. joke, but it's a dad joke. <laughs> yeah, quite literally now. And uh, I know you can't <laughs> see it, not a lot of you, but I've literally got a red Michael Schumacher flag in the bag as well. So I, I, I do have red flag. We... We actually had more red flags in this race than in a Communist Party rally outside the venue where we screened the Australian GP in Mumbai. And by the way, if any of you from there are watching or listening to this episode, thank you for turning up in such amazing numbers and interacting with us over there because we had such an amazing quiz and amazing interaction after the race. And now at this stage, you might be wondering, well, who are these guys blabbering about a meetup in Mumbai? Well, let's just give you a context, some context about who we are and what we do. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of the Indian Racing League broadcasts on Star Sports. I'm joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Sahara Force India Formula 1 team, who's also an FIA accredited Formula 1 journalist. There's no confusion in the accreditation process. Touchwood, that was good. Your accreditation was <laughs> very much legal and not disputed at all. But he also was. You, mean, you mean the cred Kunal Shah, cred being a very... I don't know if you call it a unicorn startup or not, but the, hmm. the unicorn startup in Asia, the founder of that is also Kunal Shah. And the joke that I normally have is I get a lot of calls that are meant for him with budding investor, budding startup founder saying, hey, so would you like to invest? And I'm like, dude, I'm the F1 guy. And I'm pretty sure he gets a call saying, what happened to the FIA in Australia? And he's like, dude, I'm the cred guy. Hey, no, really, you know what, Has have any startups approached you regarding creating a proper race administration system? Because that seems like the need of the hour. And that is exactly what we're going to discuss on this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast. Just what went down, what we th- think of it. And also, we get to know your takes as well. By, of course, firstly, you reaching out to us on social media. And also through a poll feature that some platforms have offered us down in the description below. So, Let's just get right down to the bottom of it, Kunal, because I am intrigued about this. I know once again, we have to start out with the FIA. It's just a tradition by this stage right now. But seriously, what do you think of the entire affair? Because I have an opinion and I think it's going to be a very unpopular one. So firstly, could you make sense of all the chaos with all the red flags at the end? And genuinely, as a viewer, did you enjoy all the standing starts? I mean, let's let's be honest. Okay, so as a viewer, 
I absolutely loved the standing starts. Why? Because normally when you pay for a race ticket, and I've almost never, actually, I have never paid for a race ticket. Touch wood. I hope hope never to do that, okay? You see the smile on my face. You hear the smile in my voice. But if you pay, if you go to a race, you are normally guaranteed a qualifying hour on a Saturday and one start and one opening lap on a Sunday, right? That's what we do. With the sprint format, you are guaranteed two starts and two opening laps, right? But hey, the Australian fans that were there in Melbourne at the Albert Park Circuit for the 2023 Australian Grand Prix got three standing starts, three uh, opening laps, right? Uh, I mean... Bumper for the money. I mean, the biggest bang or biggest, most starts for the money that Formula One could offer. So as a viewer, I'm definitely not complaining. As somebody who believes I can, I understand the sport a little bit better than an average fan. That's why I'm able to comment on it and write about it and talk about it with you, Samuel. Yeah, maybe somewhere, you know, the FI didn't always have to use the red flags. And is this the new way forward? Or is this one of those inconsistencies again? And one question, you know, we, we I, I love how circuits are able to operate uh, in quick times, you know, quick speed, clearing up barriers and gravel and so on. What happened to those sweepers? You know, those massive sweepers that would go all around the yeah. circuit, picking up the gravel did formula one not find a sponsor willing to pay to have their sweepers there or whatever that they couldn't just use a sweeper samal oh no the ipl is on in india and the sweeper is a very important cricketing position as well so i think all of them <laughs> went over there to earn their bucks but in all seriousness about this whole thing i genuinely think that for once the police did a good job now I- i'm not talking about carlos sainz's penalty i'm still just about as confused we'll get to it in a second but with all the red flags kunal uh, we know that Formula 1 is meant to be an entertainment sport. We know that after Abu Dhabi, the teams and the sport literally signed an agreement saying that, yes, we want races to end under the green flag whenever possible. We want more standing starts. We want more drama. And if I'm being very honest, I don't see the problem with it at all, to be very honest. Because, again, we want racing. We want action. And by the way, folks, if you really enjoyed the standing starts and all the red flags, just let us know down in the comments what you think about it. Because... We're running a poll to find out if you actually enjoyed the multiple starts or not. And that will give us a better idea about what everyone thinks about it. But I I really think it was fine. And I'm actually a little bit amused at the drivers complaining about it. Because it's kind of similar to ministers complaining that elections come about and distract us from doing our work. Well, it's part of the job. You do a better job. You, you, you don't crash there. Again, <laughs> it's just like, uh, I'm thinking of Logan Sargent right here, right? Because he's a budding Formula 1 driver, very observant. He wants to look around and absorb everything that he can. And all that he sees is chaos. So the poor man thinks, you know what? Opening laps in chaos, I need to do that as well to be a good Formula 1 driver. <laughs> so just for the heck of it, he goes ahead and punts Nick DeFries. Because why not? I think it was well, fun. That's a great example, Samuel. And, you know, you, you very rightly pointed out that we don't want races to end under a safety car. Uh, We saw that in Abu Dhabi. We saw that in Monza last year. But you know what? Beyond the point, there's something called as fate. Fate still wanted the Australian Grand Prix to end behind the safety (laughs) car. So we had a rolling start where the safety car pulled in just to say that the race ended in racing conditions. But literally, you know, that's, that's the limit to what the FIA can also control 
racing, if I may put that in inverted commas. There's another thing that the FIA or the world or the universe is actually manifesting and controlling, which I hope it doesn't, which is come what may, whatever the result, come disqualifications, penalties, spin-offs, T-boning, whatever you call it. Fernando Alonso will finish P3. Point blank. Doesn't You're right. <laughs> You're right. You know what? It, it, we know that he's sort of a cat, a big cat. He likes to call himself a lion. Cats have nine lives. He's exhausted two of his lives in terms of getting a podium because in one race at Bahrain, he almost got hit by his teammate in the first lap. In this one, he literally got hit and then eventually still managed to get back P3. But on that note, Kunal, on, on this whole kerfuffle, I really think that the FIA handled it quite well. Don't you think so? But I, 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 get, I know I have a reason why, but I'll explain after after I get to know your take. I mean, okay, so what are we complaining about? I, I don't understand. Are we complain? And when I say we, I don't mean you and I. I think we're in general asking, you know, the sentiment, the chatter on social media. What is the complaint about? Is it about the red flags? Hey, we all, as fans, want racing to happen. We don't want a race result to be decided under neutralized or whatever controlled conditions. So that's what the FIA tried to do. So let's keep that aside. The FIA have literally just executed what the fans have said they wanted and hence the teams and Formula One and the World Motorsport Council, they made all these rules up. The FIA is just executing these rules, right? So I personally think the FIA have done a fantastic job in sticking to the rules, trying to give us entertainment, right? And I mean, uh, there was there was one more thing that the FIA got involved in since we are still, you know, nine, ten minutes in, still on the FIA because, hey, that's how they've been, you know, they've, they've been claiming the headline. So we're giving them the airtime as well, prime time and whatever. And we can send Mohammed bin Salayam an invoice, you know, for all the exposure <laughs> and the positive one for once. You know, this whole thing of banning team celebrations on the pit wall, right? The wording of the regulations or the messaging was actually something that they could have just redone. They haven't banned celebrations. They've said, you are by all means welcome to the pit wall. You just cannot climb up onto the fences from a safety point of view because you have 10, 12, 20, you know, fully sized adults climbing up. They don't they don't test the barriers for that kind of weight and energy that goes through those barriers. So I think net-net, no complaints from the FIA at the moment, I would say, especially with what's happened this morning in Australia. Yeah, and a, a word about the lap that never was, I think they've done a really fair job with that. Now, I know at this stage you might be thinking, okay, I'm tuning out. I don't like the FIA. I don't want to listen more. But hear me out for a second. At Silverstone in 2022, uh, the reason why we use the order of the start is because they didn't quite cross the safety car line. They literally lasted two corners before the red flag. Over here, that, that's why, by the way, uh, th- that's why, again, uh, over here at this particular race, they crossed sector two, which meant that the lap was registered. They had gone past, I think, turn four, turn five, thereabouts. And so on the way in, that was counted as an official race lap. So that was lap 57, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And you are meant to do one lap when you come out to the grid for a standing start. And that exactly. one lap was lap 58. And lap 58 ended under racing conditions, um, as it was meant to be. Because yeah, had we yeah. had a lap 59, that would have been the standing start. But we didn't. So lap 58 was the one where they came out and game set match came up. It's not, it's not really that hard to decipher, really. I think the only confusing part for most people, including Haas, was what order to use. But when we've got so much chaos, Kunal, I think the FIS set a fair precedent by saying that, boss, 
we'll use the starting order because there's so much chaos that we can't quite physically put any grid conditions. So I don't see the harm in that. Yeah, and you know, uh, what, what's the alternative? Let's discuss that as well. The alternative yeah, right, would yeah. have meant, yeah, the alternative would have meant that they end the race under safety safety under the safety car which would have also created a lot of backlash and we would have spent 12 minutes talking of oh my goodness can't they just change the rules to give us the proper racing lap so it's a no-win situation for the FIA and I think there will always be somebody who has a different view but I think what we saw there was fine on the Haas penalty I'm very glad that the team pulled it out because it could have meant uh, Nico Hulkenberg would have been one position higher. Everybody dreaming, including me, was dreaming that it was the you know position before we actually got into the podium spot. And is this the way Nico will finally get a podium spot, right? So the FIA actually said that, hey, that's great because there are two ways for us to determine the order. First was the start itself, like you pointed out. And the second one was a safety car line one. And they said the safety car line one was actually in the braking zone. So if somebody just went completely bonkers in the braking zone, you know, example, Carlos Sainz, then they would just unfairly gain a position for the neutralized, revised start order that they gave. So hmm. they said, hence, it was fair to just use the safety, sorry, the, the original start grid that was there after the third red flag. So net-net, it was all very good. It was all procedural and it was all logical apart from, say, the Carlos Sainz penalty. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. By the way, folks, if you haven't heard what Carlos Sainz has had to say on the radio, after this episode is done, you have to do that because that is a must listen. He, Kunal, has been literally crying on the radio saying, no, 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 you can't do this. You need to consult it with me, talk to the driver, understand my perspective. And uh, what's your opinion on this? Because from watching the onboards and from watching the clips of the replays, it really looks like Carlos Sainz has taken the exact same line on the last lap to hit Fernando Alonso eventually, unfortunately, that Fernando Alonso took on the very first lap to briefly pass Lewis Hamilton. So, again, it's not the line that's the problem. It's just that he ended up hitting him. And by the regulations, I agree. Carlos Sainz is at fault because you're meant to be the driver up ahead is meant to have the advantage. And so Carlos Sainz is, according to the law at least, uh, in complete fault over here. But I think it's a racing incident. I think it's something very similar to what we saw in lap one, except Fernando avoided contact. So I, I, I'm really confused about what the penalty should be. What do you think, to be honest? Uh, you know, to me, it seems like a fairer, fairer penalty could have been applied. But hey, what could have that penalty been? There was so much chaos anyway happening out there. Because what uh, Carlos eventually did is he, of course, took Fernando Alonso out, which then had a ripple effect on the two Alpines and everybody else that sort of went off. And then that just caused a red flag. So it was a very rookie amateur driver move, something you wouldn't expect from a Carlos Sainz. So, okay, that, let's identify. He was at fault. Could the penalty have been a little more fair? Should the FI have actually spoken to the driver, etc.? The, there is no correct way to deduct this, right? Apart from the fact that maybe the FI could have waited a little bit before just declaring that he was at fault. Because like Friedrich Vasur pointed out, saying, yes, it was one thing that the penalty was very harsh, given that opening lap incidents are taken with a little more leniency because, you know, all the cars are... You know, drivers are ambitious, cars are fighting for the same piece of tarmac. 
the truth is there were three opening laps. So maybe the FIA sort of ran out of patience after a point, right, in the Australian Grand Prix. But <laughs> what Frederick Vasur pointed out was what was the hurry that the FIA was in to just dish out the penalty? Because in the past, we have seen that, you know, to identify drivers even being out of a grid slot has taken the FIA like 30 laps, if, if you may call it that, right? So what was the need to call this penalty? especially when the podium which is you know the holy grail of the result because you you know you project the podium to the audience sponsors fans etc you don't want to sort of change the podium unless you need to especially since the podium was not affected what was the need to just be in so much haste yeah i agree i agree but according to the regulation at least it kind of makes sense but in the spirit of it it's it's just a racing incident but on that subject as well 15 minutes into the episode, congratulations, Max Verstappen. Good job. Good job. Nicely done. Uh, first time you've mentioned the race winner over here. But uh, we have to talk about Max, not for the drive. I think that's a given by this stage. We really should. No, no, no. Him. We have to talk about Max for the starts that he couldn't do. Oh, yes. I mean, he just couldn't get a start, right? A standing start was his Achilles heel this weekend. I mean, George Russell got him and then my memory fades out as we go. I don't know. Fernando Alonso remembers what happened 20 years ago in a Formula One car. But <laughs> the, the truth is the Red Bulls just couldn't get their starts going. I mean, it was almost obvious that if they had a standing start, you could just jump Max Verstappen, right? But yeah, we should congratulations to Max. First win down under for him you know, a larger lead in the Drivers' Championship than he's ever had all season, blah, 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 etc. all of that. And uh, <laughs> Someone's bored of us. Someone's bored of the Red Bull domination already, clearly. No, no, I, I, don't get me wrong. I love it. I think it's, it's fantastic that Red Bull are dominating the way they are. And I say this specifically because they're just showing the world that, hey, these regulations are great if you are able to build a car as great as we can. And, you know, at the start of the hybrid era, you know, Mithila and I, when we used to do the podcast at that time together, said, just give everybody uh, Mercedes engines. Since everybody's engines were failing and Mercedes's weren't, just give everybody Mercedes's engines. Let them just go racing, right? I would now say, just give everybody a Red Bull. Let everybody go racing. Give everybody as quick a car that they have, right? So anyway, these are all just those... Yes. Whenever we have the Red Bull girls at the uh, at the Formula One races or local racetracks or whatever event or even college events or some that, they just give Red Bull to everyone anyway. So <laughs> Exactly. If you're giving the drink, might as well just give the car to everybody. <laughs> I think those those promoters are called Red Bull Wings. I can't remember what the term is called. Anyway. The wings come the wings come walking. It's all uh, something. Anyway. No, but, yeah, but that's a good is, point. Yeah, yeah the, you're giving the, cans, just give the car. It's just the last word that's different. C-A-N-C-A-R, if anybody needed me to spell it out. <laughs> Fernando Alonso from 2017 would really agree when he said equal engines for everyone. But on this very subject of Max Verstappen, it's like whatever whatever you throw at Max Verstappen, right? Whatever position that you put him in, whether you ask him to, let's say, do a spin in the middle of a race or try out a WRC car in the grass or whatever it might be, He'll just win. Nothing matters. Everything is including being, including having this whole social media chatter. You know, in the gap between now and Baku, was he outside of the grid box? Oh, and was, was he though? Yeah, I mean, no. I, the sensors said he weren't. He wasn't. You know, it's like uh, you can either be behind the white line or on it. And he was on the white line. Otherwise, the sensors would have, you know, sort of pointed that out. And one may 
one may argue that there are stewards and there is, you know, depending on which side of the fence you sit in terms of which driver you like, either your favorite driver is biased towards or against by the stewards, right? That's the philosophy we normally carry. I can tell you that the sensors one work on a one or one or zero input. They don't have any biases that that are programmed in them. I would say so. Yeah, and that's. Uh, I don't think the grid widening rule affects it at all because it's a length kind of thing. But yeah, I think had it been that case, he would have been pulled up and implicated for that. But now I really want to talk about Mercedes Canal because one thing that we can say for sure after this weekend is that the boys and girls at the factory did an amazing job. <laughs> tired of hearing this phrase, really. But for for real though, uh, I, I just pity their PR department this time because for once they've gotten a good result, and all their effort into putting in some sort of sorrow campaign and sort of petitioning to the fans to stay with them has gone for a toss. What do they do with all that effort now? Yeah, and what do you do with the W14? I mean, one race into the season, they were like, let's scrap it. This concept has to go. Two races in, it was confirmed we need to scrap. And, you know, all of the Mercedes fans were like, oh my God, we can't wait for Imola. Or is it Baku? Or is it Silverstone? A new concept. It's going to look like a Red Bull, all of that. Now, they were like two-tenths away from pole. They were challenging. I mean, George Russell still believes he could have won the race had things been fine, uh, you know, uh, had had his race gone out to plan and hadn't had a retirement. Suddenly after Australia, I was like, oh my God, can you imagine if they're so competitive with the W14? Do you really need to change the concept? Why don't you keep it? Why don't you wait for uh, wait for a few more races? Why don't you be more patient? So, you know, again, it's it's like a no-win situation. You know, you suddenly go to Baku and everything neutralizes. You're like, dude, why haven't you scrapped the car yet? You know, so it's just where it is. And I, I, I think you mentioned something about PR and I have picked on uh, something that I, you probably won't. You'll, you'll read it on my Twitter maybe tomorrow. I've scheduled a tweet, but you'll hear it here first on the podcast. You know, there's this whole thing of Lewis Hamilton said after Saudi Arabia, George Russell got lucky with the setup, something. And George says, no, it was preparation. I did not get lucky. So that was like that, you know, sort of banter or rivalry, whatever you want to play it up as. Same thing happened post-qualifying. Lewis Hamilton said, we were closer to Red Bull and it's track specific. And George Russell turned around and said, no, I was actually close to them in Jeddah as well when I had the perfect lap. I don't think it is track specific, right? So that is there is this whole banter going on between the Mercedes drivers. And for once, the first time, of course, Lewis Hamilton on the podium, first podium for Mercedes. So, you know, only the third team to score a podium in 2023, all those stats and stuff that you will anyway, you know, uh, hear F1 stats guru read out later on in the show. But net-net, Mercedes were closer. I think it was track-specific. I think it was it was just the ability to, you know, the warm-up of the tyres, as we saw, that just sort of aided them a little better. I don't think they're necessarily closer, even though Andrew Shovlin said, we've tried some setup things. And I think those setup things, of course, are also track-specific. But do you know what this banter between Russell and Hamilton that you referred to earlier on reminds me of? Do you know that ad between Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso from 2007? Anything you can do, I can do better. It's kind of like they're having this <laughs> internal rivalry where anything that you say, I'll just counter it just for the sake of countering it. And if you haven't seen that ad, and if you're new to Formula One, that is one of the greatest Formula One ads. And it's 
it's part of your journey to becoming an even deeper formula 1 fan because once you watch it it kind of gives you really fun memories and we nearly got to see an alonso versus hamilton battle it was a battle that never was kunal because both of them were passive aggressive in the fight too far off we were seeing the gaps in the pace and everything very similar in nature so hard to really draw any conclusions of the pace from this weekend but again we'd all get to see a little bit more in baku but it it was an interesting thing pointed out by f1 stats guru in our live meetup in mumbai that all four circuits that we get into see at the start of the formula 1 season are very different to each other so we can't really draw any general assumptions as well but i can draw one general assumption somewhere and that is about track position right and i'm going to leave red bull racing out of this in saudi arabia we saw that if either between the aston martin ferrari and mercedes whoever had track position actually could keep track position right we saw that here mercedes is qualified higher up and then they just finished higher up ahead of the rest okay it's the same with even the midfield i would say if you just have track position like the mclarens who had a fantastic race they opened up with points double points oscar piastri points at home all of that uh they started higher up so they finished higher up so i get this feeling track position is even more critical in 2023 given just how closely knit the entire field is except for red bull racing unless you're someone like pierre gasly who's worked super hard to break the grid with an incredible strategy and then uh, things just go down the roof completely for him it was absurd what happened but i get the idea because passing has become even harder and it's constantly making you wonder okay formula 1 cars can follow each other but can they really pass are they way too long and i hate to bring formula e into this discussion i think it's never ideal to compare formula 1 with formula e but in this one instance i think we will have to make an exception you know how we always cry about monaco being a terrible track we always talk about it being too narrow and too nasty and having no space to overtake just for reference watch the last three monaco e prix in formula e they are light cars they are smaller cars they are nimble cars and you tell me if monaco doesn't have space to pass just saying let's just check that out later on but now it's time for something fun now it's time for something that people will enjoy a little bit more here's f1 stats guru back with the stats review of the australian gp hey folks it's time to do the stats review of the australian grand prix now it was a very chaotic race wasn't it but it was still very interesting on so many different levels and that makes the stats also very very interesting my name is sundaram also known as the f1 stats guru let's get straight into the numbers Let's take a look at the podium first of all. Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso, multiple time world champions, the best in the business all together on top. And you don't get to see this very often. The last time you had three champions on the podium together was at the 2018 Hungarian Grand Prix. You had Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton and Kimi Raikkonen that day. But this time's podium is the most decorated podium in all of Formula 1. Add up all the podium finishes: 80 for Verstappen, 192 for Hamilton, and 101 for Alonso. That adds up to 373 podiums, the highest tally you've ever seen on a Formula 1 roster. They also have 11 titles between them. We've seen that once before, though, at the 2020 Turkish Grand Prix, where Lewis Hamilton took his seventh and last world title up until now. He was joined alongside by Sebastian Vettel that day. Max Verstappen won his 37th Formula 1 race and scored points for the 22nd consecutive time. That's his longest point scoring streak in Formula 1. 
But we have to talk about Mercedes. This is a team that did not have the best of starts to the season and you really wouldn't have imagined them to be on the front row or even on the podium this early. But something really happens in Australia. Something happens in the Southern Hemisphere because they have been on the podium in every single Australian Grand Prix in the hybrid era. And if you take a look at the last 16 races in the Southern Hemisphere, which includes Brazil and Australia, they've been on the podium 15 times. Now, I just hope that their next podium doesn't come only in Brazil. I really hope they can figure out all their issues and give us a few more podiums and challenge Red Bull and Aston Martin at the very front. But talking about Aston Martin, we have to talk about Fernando Alonso. Yes, I am dejected that my stat that every driver to have taken the 101st podium have done so with a win. It did not continue. But Fernando managed to put his car on the podium once again. He's taken three consecutive podium finishes for the very first time since 2013. But at the age of 41, he's now the oldest driver in over six decades to take three back-to-back podiums. One Manuel Fangio at the age of 46, slightly older than Fernando, took three podiums in the 1957 F1 season. But that was the stats review of the Australian Grand Prix. We have a little bit of a break right now before we go to Azerbaijan. So to keep yourself engaged with more such interesting stats and facts, do follow me on Twitter and Instagram under the name F1 Stats Guru. I'll see you guys in a while. Welcome back folks to the Inside Line F1 podcast. And it's always amazing to hear more about the numbers from F1 Stats Guru, especially his stat this time, uh, Kunal, about the 101st podium for Fernando Alonso. He was the first person to bring it out globally. Uh, All the global broadcasts mentioned him. All the global websites mentioned him. Unfortunately, his favourite driver, Fernando Alonso, couldn't quite finish up on that promise. But I think that's like a career-long thing. He's never quite done that. But (laughs) we need to talk a little bit more about this race. And I'm very curious about one question that I really want to know your opinion on. Who made you go? How did they get here? more intensely. I've got three options. Firstly, Nico Hulkenberg briefly in P4. Secondly, McLaren's at the finish line. Or third, Ocon and Gasly colliding. How on earth? Which one of this was more, which one of these rather, was most surprising for you? I would say Nico Hulkenberg in P3, P4. I think it was P3 briefly for a part of the season, a part of the race as well. I think definitely that the Haas is the Haas, you know, (laughs) and Nico Hulkenberg is on a comeback. Is he, you know, has he settled in? Is he still settling? And I think, I think he's had, he's had the measure of Kevin Magnussen by, by a bit of a distance, by a bit of a comfort yet. Uh, You know, anyone questioning why Haas should have kept on with Schumacher and, uh, not taken Hulkenberg. You know, that whole youth versus experiencing. For me, it was definitely Nico Hulkenberg. What about you, Samuel? I agree. Even though he sort of got outclassed by Lando Norris in the racing side earlier on, his performance was quite good and he was at the right place at the right time. But this reminds me a lot about that Undertaker streak that we had in WWE back in the day. Remember 21 WrestleManias and he didn't lose one match? It's like some things just aren't meant to happen. Like a rational tweet from Donald Trump on Twitter. And again, there are big streaks like Lewis Hamilton winning in every single Formula 1 season. That got broken. Undertaker winning at every single WrestleMania. That got broken. This Kunal, it just doesn't seem to be breaking at all at any given time whatsoever. And look at the number of races that we've got on that list. Brazil 2010 when he took pole position. Brazil 2012 when he was fighting with Lewis Hamilton. We have uh, Germany 2019, where he was in a good position to get a podium as well. We had Silverstone 2020 as well. 
So his streak is just absolutely intact and it's like fate doesn't want him to get there. It's just absurd. What does he do? What does he need to do at this stage really? I mean, he just needs to keep driving and hopefully Haas is, you know, going to improve everybody's hoping, you know, Haas has got the new sponsor. I'm not just going to give them free t- free airtime on our show and there is more money they're going to operate closer to the budget, you know, sidings road. <laughs> more money gram for them? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Money kilogram is what we should charge them in return. But there's one more, you know, how the heck did that happen thing. Checo Perez had that qualifying issue. Everybody was like, he should have known. He went out on qualifying, started dead last, started from the pits, uh, came up to fifth. I think he drove fairly well despite all the, you know, stoppages uh, and so on. But the the most, like, the how did that happen moment for me and Checo Perez was, you know, after the race, he was declared driver of the race. Uh, or driver of the day, whatever that thing is. And the first thing that Checo asks is, okay, thanks, but do you get an extra point for that, right? And it just shows how competitive he's like, I've lost points to <laughs> Max. Can I get this like one extra point by winning the driver of the, the day uh, thing? But all in all, we've got to talk of the Alpines colliding. I mean, uh, you know, by what race would they have collided is what, you know, we, you and I have spoken about before. I didn't think it would be this early into the season, which was race three. <laughs> of course, you can, we must call it a racing incident as well, even though it's fun to, you know, pitch Gasly versus Ocon, given their childhood rivalry anyway. Yeah, but there's something very familiar about Esteban Ocon colliding with his teammate in a pink car. We've seen that before, haven't we, Kunal? Somewhere, no? We have. I mean, collisions, uh, teammate uh, incidents are always a thing. But, um, you know, I would say net-net, it was an entertaining race. We liked what we had. We had a fantastic screening in Mumbai and uh, in Delhi as well. We have lots more planned for the Inside Line Club, even though there is a a forced break that we are, you know, sort of uh, being put through some Oh yeah, we are having a force break, but not a force break on the podcast because coming up next are so many fun episodes. We firstly are going to have David Coulthard on the Inside Line F1 podcast. We got exclusive access to him thanks to Red Bull India when he was here for the Red Bull Racing Showrun. That absolutely blew all of our minds. And we get to talk to David Coulthard about Christian Horner and what it was like to actually be hired by someone who was younger than you, but still leading a team. And also more about his racing driver psychology and what he says to himself after moments of tragedy, like his plane crash, and also stepping up to Williams after Ayrton Senna unfortunately passed away. Just how does he think? Do doubts come in or does he just squash them completely? That is going to be coming up next. We then have Blake, who's known on the social media world as Brick. You might have come across his stuff on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram, everywhere. He's a former Red Bull Racing and Force India engineer who's worked with both these teams inside out. And we had him on the podcast for, I think, one of our best episodes of the last year. But we got to talk so much about how a Formula One team operates. How can you become a Formula One engineer? And on a daily basis, just what do those challenges look like? And how much coordination and feedback goes on between a racing driver and their performance engineer? And which one of these drivers takes more feedback than the other ones? And just how do they deal with that? So that episode's also going to come up. And finally, Kunal, one of my favorite ones as well. We've got the folks from Driven International coming on the podcast as well. And they are going to be talking about just how do you make a street circuit? Because they were the people responsible 
for the amazing Hyderabadi Pre Street Circuit in India. And I, I was there for the Indian Racing League and Formula E. The operational challenges were humongous, but still they came up with such an amazing circuit. So how do you do that? How do you make changes like the ones that they made to Yas Marina as well? And also do circuits like Mandalika in Indonesia as well. So they're going to be on the podcast to talk a lot more about that. So April Kunal is going to be a bumper month with a lot of fun stuff happening. It is. And you know, before you know it, our show will entertain you, including stuff that we're going to do with the Lollipop Man, with F1 Stats Guru. And like I said, really excited to see what more and how many more cities we can reach uh, for community engagement uh, with the Inside Line Club. Absolutely. And folks, I just want to end this episode on one note. It's going to be a note of laughter for some, a note of disappointment for the others, and just a general, general one that will really intrigue everyone. At the end of this race, Kunal, Alpine are four points behind McLaren. I'm gonna I'm gonna put one more to this. You know, Lance Stroll. He was in a podium position in an Aston Martin ahead of whoever he was ahead of at that time, right? And what did he do? He went and outbraked himself on cold tires at turn three. And then he says, Yeah, the tires were cold. But dude, you know, if Fernando, you know, has spun. <laughs> You are in a podium spot. All you got to do is cover your tires or whatever. Everybody knows that there's cold tires. I mean, it's not Logan Sargent for, you know, I'm just giving example as a rookie, right? It's Lance Stroll. He's paid millions to do 50, 60, whatever number of races he's done. There's no excuse for him to have, you know, blown that up. And then, of course, he regained that uh, position back because of the whole red flag fiasco and the new restart order and so on. I don't know why we didn't pick on him earlier, but yeah, shouldn't have done that. One second, who is he making an excuse to, Kunal, for real? Everybody who he thinks he needs to make the excuse to, including maybe himself. (sighs) That's a heavy note to end on. But uh, on a serious note, hopefully he's doing better. Hopefully uh, his arm is actually feeling a lot better. So considering all that, his performances have been good, but... Yeah, that wasn't ideal though, was it? But again, so many things at the Australian GP weren't ideal. But I hope this episode certainly was. And if you enjoyed listening to it, leave us a good rating, subscribe to the Inside Line F1 podcast, and also share this podcast with all your other friends and family members who you think are going to enjoy this as well. Thank you for listening, folks. And we will be back with oh so much more. Once again, see you around. Here.